Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Do you remember when we were going to do the show and then all of a sudden the Chicago Blackhawks fired the coach that led them to three Stanley Cups and constructed a mini dynasty uh, and replaced him with someone who was drafted the same year as Brent Seabrook? I vaguely remember that. It's ringing a bell. It might have happened yesterday. This week on ESPN on Ice, we've got an interview with Luke Robitaille, who is going to talk about another firing that happened this week in the National Hockey League as John Stevens was turfed in L.A. Plus, Sean Mikendo, a.k.a. Down Goes Brown, will talk about his new book about the history of the National Hockey League. All that, plus Buck headlines and Kessel thing and more in a titanic week for coach firings here on ESPN on Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey everybody, welcome to ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, a national NHL reporter. You sure are. And here we are. National. (laughs) That's right. Talking about a thing that literally we're about to do the show. And then the Chicago Blackhawks announced that Joel Quenville was being fired. uh, And then we decided not to do the show because Emily had to run around and figure out what the hell happened in Chicago. So, Emily, what the hell happened in Chicago? What the hell happened is right. Uh, This is clearly a decision that was made... uh I believe in consort. I, I, I feel comfortable saying that between John McDonough and Stan Bowman, they went to their big boss, Rocky Wirtz, and said, look, something's not right. Wirtz, a businessman, friend of the pod, been on the pod before, <laughs> says the worst decision I think executives do in life is not making a decision at all. You got to be decisive. So he signed off on it and they said, look, go with go with your gut. And their gut was to fire Q. Uh, you can go and read between the lines. Was there turmoil? Was there some kind of power struggle? Someone asked that directly to Stan Bowman. He was very defiant in saying there was no power struggle. Of course, over 10 years, you're going to disagree with somebody. But Joel and I got along great and see hockey. Similarly, at the same time, the truth is they fired their coach that turned around the entire franchise, has done so much goodwill for this city at a very awkward time. It's like, why didn't they do it over the summer? Why didn't they do it at the end of last season? Why do you do it now, 15 games into this season, after one bad Western Conference swing? Well, I'm, I'm assuming it's the hope that that he is, you know, obviously the best coach in the, in the NHL, with all due respect to John Cooper. And uh, and I feel like they, they wanted to give him a shot to try to turn the team around and you know he's behind the bench maybe you get a healthy Corey Crawford and maybe start off well as they did but then things kind of fall apart and now you've squandered the goodwill that you had at the beginning of the season and now they're looking to make a change here's where I'm sitting on this and you tell me if I'm wrong you fact check me because you were you were there yesterday uh, uh talking to people so on the one hand they clearly didn't want to pay Joel Quenville six million dollars this season and next season to sit behind the bench of a losing team. I mean, if they're going to suck, get them out of there. Um, the hope, obviously, is that they don't suck. But if they do, you don't want to spend $6 million uh, on a coach to oversee a mess. You want to spend pennies on the dollar for a 33-year-old to come in and coach the team. True or false? True. I think there's some money incentive, but I also think under the Rocky Worst era, it's kind of like a money is no expense, whatever it takes to win. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. But keep in mind, though, that the minute he gets hired somewhere else, which could happen by the end of the show, that money is off the books. So you're uh, saving yourself They have 12. to negotiate, I think, the difference. Isn't they'll that how be, it goes? In this- sure, sure. But they're not going to spend $6 million, you know. It's, yeah, they'll it's spend not, a mil. Yeah. They'll save some money. The second thing is, and this is a classic NHL trope, you get the younger guy in there, and, and Jeremy Colleton is, is 33, uh, drafted the same year as Brent Seabrook. Played on uh, that, World Juniors teams in summer leagues with Brent Seabrook. Exactly. Uh, that makes him the elder for both Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, but only by a few years. It makes him imminently more relatable to the cast of characters that make up most of the roster spots on these Blackhawks teams because, and we'll get into the coaching versus construction argument in a second, the the, the only way the Blackhawks are going to be able to fill out rosters going forward because they're so top-heavy salary-wise and everybody who has a salary can't be moved is by filling the roster with younger players, which is fine. It's the way of the world in the NHL. You're going young. We're, we, I, I talked to Luke Robitaille about that later on. We talked about John Stevens and the way the LA Kings were built. But in order to make these younger players excel, I'm, I'm guessing that they're hedging their bets that a 33-year-old Jeremy Colton can do it better than a 60-year-old Joel Quenville. I'm guessing they're thinking that if you have the younger, more relatable coach, that the younger players on the roster will be maybe less intimidated, maybe play a little bit better, uh, maybe feel like their interests are being protected in a way that they are not when you have a 60-year-old three-time Stanley Cup champion coach behind the bench who may not necessarily be the guy for younger players. So what they're looking at is Boston. They're looking at Claude Julien, a Stanley Cup winning coach, an accomplished guy being sent out, Bruce Cassidy, a younger guy, more of a player's guy coming in, and now all of a sudden, the younger players in the Boston roster come alive, and the and the Bruins are resurgent. And so I think that this is not the first time the NHL has done this equation, where they bring in the younger coach and hope that the younger players excel. And I think that's the play for the for the Blackhawks on this one. It's definitely a great point, and there's a couple of things I want to point out. One, there's no doubt in my mind that Jeremy Colleton is a rising star in the coaching ranks. I mean, he was playing until the 2012-2013 lockout, only played three three games in Sweden, post-concussion syndrome. He had to retire, transferred over to coaching. The Blackhawks found him there. They're like, we want you here. My problem is, okay, the Blackhawks are clearly invested in his development, but he's not like this hot rising star like a Sean McVay and with the Rams where they're like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, another team's going to poach him up. We have to promote him immediately before we yeah. lose him. Like that yeah. wasn't the case. Uh, so yeah, that that's a little bit peculiar because it does feel like a rush promotion. It's definitely, you know, you even saw it in the press conference. He just seems a little bit out of his depth at the moment. He's just, you know, getting his bearings. This all happened really fast. Mm-hmm. I do agree with you. Anyone who's watched the Chicago Blackhawks this year sees... Okay, we've got the Taze resurgence, so-called. We've got Kane still producing. You've got your veteran defensemen who are just kind of on their own. The young guys are doing well. The the superstars, like the Henry Yokiharus and the Alex DeBrinkets, but there's no middle class. Right. And when I talk to a guy like Eric Gustafsson, who's played almost every, I think, I believe he's played every game, um, he says, Jeremy Culleton is the guy that made me a regular NHL defenseman. Last year that. when I was sent down, yeah. I, my confidence wasn't good. I wasn't feeling great. He talked me through it got my confidence up and that's why i'm back here the fact that he could relate to him and talk to him john hayden said the same thing a guy who was started with the blackhawks went down to rockford and now found his foot in the nfl nhl uh so i I believe that those are the guys they're trying to reach and and you're right the bruce cassidy comparison was perfect because that's a team constructed very similarly to the blackhawks right and and again like this is how it's going to be going forward which i guess is a good chance for us to transition to talk about stan bowman 
the Chicago Blackhawks right now have just under four million dollars, or, or around. I'm sorry, just under five million dollars in cap space. They're, you know, they've got some space, but they're basically a capped out team uh, for doing anything super significant. Next year, they have 14 players on the roster uh, under contract, uh, which means they need roughly about, you know, uh, what, seven, eight, nine, maybe nine more players to fill out the roster. I guess nine more. Uh, We've got a bunch of guys in Rockford. Yeah, projected cap space next year is $18.1 million. So you're talking about nine guys, $18 million. You're talking about $2 million a player. So you're not going out and getting Eric Carlson. No. <laughs> you know, you're, not, you're not going out and getting a guy. Because you got to spend money on your grunts, and the way they're going to do that is by going young. The 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 Blackhawks right now, on courtesy of CapGeek, or I'm oh, sorry, CapGeek, geez, RIP, Cap Friendly, have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys that are making less than a million dollars. So these this is the grunts. These are the grunts. These are the guys who are going to make up the roster because the roster is so financially top heavy. This and is the so modern you- NHL, though. There's no middle class. Well, there, there's no middle class, but there's no middle class on a team where your two best players are making $21 million combined against the cap. I mean, that that's a very unique problem to the Blackhawks. And I know that, you know, there's a, 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 the school of thought that you're a victim of your own success, yada, yada, yada. Well, you know what? Other teams, other guys took less. Other guys took a little bit less. And especially back in the time when they signed those contracts, Kane and Taves. They, you know, they could have taken a couple million off the top. And all of a sudden you're talking about going out and signing a defenseman. But, I mean, the real issue with, with the Blackhawks is this. You can't move Keith. You can't move Seabrook. You can't move Crawford. You probably don't want to move Gainer Taves. But you can't move any of the guys that make money because Stan handed out no move clauses left and right, like we're candy on Halloween. That's okay. the real problem. Well, I'll pose you this. You go in the locker room yesterday, and Duncan Keith did not talk, but Seabrook did, and Taves did, and Kane did. And you can tell there's a veteran's guilt about the departure of Joel Quinville. Mm-hmm. Kane even said it. That was one of the quotes that really stuck with me. Like, I wish I wasn't sick in that Vancouver trek. Maybe if I played a little bit better. Maybe if Keith didn't oh. get ejected two minutes into the Calgary game, like, we could have saved this. They, they feel such loyalty to him. Maybe in this new era, they don't feel like they belong. You waive the new movement clause. So yeah, Kane, in my opinion, untouchable. 30 years old, still producing at a superstar level. Jonathan Taze, that could do some, you know, Irreparable, like you could not fix that harm that that would do in the See, locker room. You, you or think? The fan base. You, you, okay, from a Chicago Can I just perspective. Continue? From oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. No, I was going to ask you about Kane Taves real quick. Okay, go. We'll, we'll pause there. Yeah. Okay, from a Chicago perspective, which one would be the most devastating blow to the fan base they've built in the last ten years? Trading Taves or trading Kane? I think the the politically correct answer would say Taze. He's the captain, but I think Kane is just he's producing at a higher level. He's so much more fun to watch on the ice. I I think fans would be more upset about that because I think he would immediately produce for another team. All right, so back to the veterans. These guys love the love, feel right. Terrible. Seabrook, I'm saying everyone's like, oh, you can't move that contract. What if you pair him with a group? What if it's part of this huge like we're dumping the salary as a part of a huge mega trade? Who would put it past Dan Bowman, who might be GMing for his job? But, Keith, but, I think, is movable. If you see his contract, he's, he's 5.5 million through 2022. He's movable, but only if he wants to move. He's got a no move. That's the issue. That's the issue with all these guys. What and, if the Canucks want to make this big play for him and he gets to go home to British Columbia? That would, That's what you would probably need, is you need some sort of a carrot to get him out of there. But if he wants to go. I mean, it, again, it's it's a... It's tough sledding, unless unless all of a sudden you're going to play hardball like the Lightning did a few years ago with Dan Boyle, where they're just like, well, we're going to just mess with you if you don't waive your no-move clause, and then he, and he did. I mean, it's it's hard to get these guys to want to 
you know, leave their stuff, as we talked about with Eric Carlson last year. Um, one guy that I, I think the Blackhawks would behoove them to move is Brandon Sod, And it's the same issue that we had last year where they're selling low. It also means Stan Bowman admitting a mistake. But he's only 26 years old. If he just gets mm-hmm. a, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes is a team that just keeps coming up. And I know there have been some some discussions there, but imagine him on that team just getting a new hockey life. Okay, it's only but, six million in the cap. But you bring up Sod, which means we should talk about transactions for a second. Mm-hmm. Panarin gone, Taravainen gone, Yarmolson gone. All these guys over and over, gone, 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 and they're gone because Stan, because of Stan's budget. And again, you're going to come back to you're a victim of your own success. But if you're, to, I, I don't believe for a second that there wasn't friction between Stan and, and Joel Quenville over a roster that was being, you know, just diminished. It was like a, a putting a sugar cube in a glass of water. It was just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking every year, and all the sweet stuff was leaving because Stan had to get these guys off the roster because he didn't have any money for them. Or, did, or in Panarin's case, didn't want to pay him down the road, uh, unless you believe my theory that, that he was just being laundered and he's going to be a Blackhawk next year. Um, so, uh, it, listen, it, it is, to me... From a hockey perspective, understandable that Joel Quenville got fired before Stan Bowman. But from an organizational perspective, I kind of felt like they both had to go. Like, I kind of feel like if you are saying that this era of the Blackhawks under Joel Quenville is over, then you should also be saying that this era of the Blackhawks under Stan Bowman is over. It was really interesting that McDonough said he did not consider firing both of them. That was not in the consideration. It was Q or bust, it seemed. Yeah, that's a that's a GM for life kind of statement, and it tells you that maybe Jeremy Carlton's not going to be the last guy this guy hires, which is kind of stunning. What, what I guess we should oh go ahead. Do you know what else made me laugh? Yeah, when McDonough goes, well, you know, this is actually the first coach that Stan Bowman is technically hired. He inherited Q, and I laugh like I think most GMs would be okay inheriting Q. Oh, that's so funny. You're right. Yeah, that's right. Talon hired him. I guess we should talk about Quenville and and, and Carlton before we uh, we head over to uh, talk to Luke Robitaille. Um, in Colleton's case, what, you talked about him being sort of a rising star. I mean, obviously, a, a rich history in Chicago of guys coming out of nowhere and being young and energetic and, and uh, then arriving on the national scene and becoming two-term presidents. Uh, but in his case, do you have faith that he is a guy that might be able to turn the ship around this season, or do you think this is a more long-term play? You know what? I didn't get much out of that press conference, and I'll tell you why. It was really awkward. It was a it was a vibe. <laughs> it was awkward. Usually, yeah. the way these things go is the coach or the GM or whoever's fired. You have the big decision makers up there, and they talk about it. And then a couple days later, they have the coaching search, all that. And then you introduce a new guy. His wife's there. The baby's there. They take the cute photos. Right. Well, here's the situation where he's sitting there with two direct bosses, Stan Bowman. And John McDonough. Rocky Wirtz is sitting by the end. By the way, three quarters into the press conference, no one had asked Rocky a question. He's just kind of <laughs> sitting there, like, sipping his water. The, That's why he comes on the podcast. So right. The TV reporter about. next to me finally is like, Rocky, would you talk? Like, what do you think about all this? Uh, anyway, so Jeremy Carlton's <laughs> asked only a few questions. He's asked a bit about his coaching philosophy. You know, the words his bosses use about him is he's a great communicator. We, we've clearly established that. But they ask, how much is the team going to change? How much are your system's going to change? And he's like... Very differential. I've got so much respect for Q. I'm, you know, I'm going to have my own little twists on things, but we're really going to keep what we've got going here. So mm. you just kind of got to wait and see and, and, and look like, is he going to be someone who shakes it up? Are we going to see crazy line combinations or, or new systems? I don't think so at first. I think he's mm. going to try to 
just steady the ship that Q had really steadied for for some time, and and we'll see as time goes on. A how much leeway he gets to put his own imprint in, and B you know how much chutzpah or, or how much vision he has uh, for what this team can be. I think it might be the first chutzpah drop in, in ESPN and ISIS. You know what? It's it's Wednesday, which is closer to Shabbat than we usually record. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to make my mom and dad proud when they're listening. I know my mom's oh. smiling right now. Oh, so so sweet. Such a such a good daughter. Grandma too. We'll send it to her. <laughs> Where do you think Quenville's going to end up? I mean, mm-hmm. Mike Babcock said yesterday he believes that Q is going to take a little bit of time. He's like, you know, going to be uh, skiing on those slopes in Colorado, and uh, and so he's going to probably take a little bit of time. He's got the- going with Babcock. Oh no, not today. He's got the pick of the litter. He can go wherever he wants. I, I as I, I mentioned in the article, by the way, if you haven't read Emily's pieces from the press conference yesterday, they're great. I wrote a little frequently asked questions thing about the firing. That's got all this Quenville coaching projection stuff on there. We definitely covered that. Thing. Yeah, in writing that, it's it's interesting. A, a third of the league would probably hire him right now. There are teams that don't need him or, or wouldn't dabble in it, at least in theory, but. The, th- the three I'm thinking are, I-, I could see a Dale Talon reunion in Florida, a low, lower pressure, maybe higher reward gig, and, and he loves Dale. Dale hired him. So that's a possibility. Um, I, everybody's saying St. Louis. I don't know, man. I don't know if Dole Quinville is going to go back to a place he already was to coach a team that is not in theory, on a multi-year trajectory upswing, they're very much a team of now in St. Louis. And I wonder whether or not he's going to take that on. The one I want is Edmonton. Oh, God, give me Edmonton. Give me Joel Quenville behind the bench of the Edmonton Oilers, coaching Connor McDavid, organizing that mess, getting somehow getting Lucic off the roster, and... And, and he's got Hockey Canada ties up the wazoo there. Bob Nicholson is the CEO and, and Chiarelli and all these guys. That's the one I want to see, with all due respect to Tom McClellan. For me, uh, I'm in the school of thought that I do think he's going to take time. I think it's kind of like the Elaine Vigneault situation when you're paid a lot of money to not co- coach and, and maybe just take a step back and breathe. Uh, you mm-hmm. do. I do know Q is a very competitive guy, and it's probably going to irk him to sit on the sidelines and watch all these other teams go. So... We shall see, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if we go the rest of the season without Q behind a sideline uh, bench or whatever field of play you want to play in. The last thing I want to say on this matter, um, and just this is a little inside Chicago, but I would not. The Barry Smith hiring as an assistant mm-hmm. coach is incredibly significant. Yeah. Barry Smith is a, obviously a longtime guy of Scotty Bowman, uh, therefore Stan Bowman. Uh, Q did not want him behind a bench at all. There's definitely some friction there. He's 66 years old. He's been in the hockey development role, but hasn't been there. It's almost like he's an eyes and ears to management as a conduit between Jeremy Colleton and the GM. So I just thought that hiring was very, very interesting. Yeah, just remember, though, Stan and Colt, they were buddies, man. They were friends. They're just going fishing together, having fun, having fun adventures together. Just two boys. Boys having fun. What a bunch of nonsense. What a bunch of lies. All right. Here's a guy that's going to tell it to you straight. Luke Robitaille, president of the Los Angeles Kings, who joins us on ESPN and on ice to talk about the firing of John Stevens. Joining us now on the line is the president of the Los Angeles Kings, Luke Robitaille, uh, who's had an inve- uh, a franchise with an eventful week so far. 
uh, with the firing of coach John Stevens and the hiring on an interim basis of coach Willie Desjardins. Uh, Luke, let's, uh, let's begin with the timing of this thing. You, you had, uh, Dustin Brown out for about a month. You had Jonathan Quick just go down with an injury. You had a coach in Stevens who made the playoffs last year. Usually, these are things that are going to buy a guy some time. But uh, John Stevens gets uh, turfed early in November. Uh, what was the thinking behind the uh, the quick change uh, for the Kings this season? I think our, our our biggest thing is we didn't like the way our team was playing like all year uh, and. Uh, like I think Rob Blake mentioned, like uh, he didn't like the way the effort was and the way our our guys were responding, and uh, because of that, you know, he just felt like uh, you know better make a move now than and waiting another two or three weeks. From what you saw, though, I mean, what did you see from this team insofar as effort, insofar as, uh, you know, Kopitar's asked about the level of care uh, a couple days ago. What did you see when this team was was struggling? Uh, we just don't, we don't like the way we didn't like the way we were playing, you know, and uh, it just seemed like uh, there was not like uh, enough uh, enough going. Whether it was our forecheck or our, our way to move to puck up the ice that uh, gave uh, you know Rob confidence that the you know the team is gonna is gonna change. How much of this is is knowing what the sports universe looks like right now in L.A.? Like, you know, if the team struggles, if the Kings fall off a cliff early in the season, you got LeBron there, you got the Rams there, you got a lot of other things competing for the entertainment dollar right now in Los Angeles. How how much of this is a financial decision to make sure that you guys are still in the race come January? We don't. We've never really looked at uh, you know the other teams what they're doing and so forth we know that we 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 we're competing with teams but we're more aware of what the LA Kings fans want and what you know that's what's important to us like we we're well aware that if our teams perform we're always going to have our our core fans that'll be with us and the city of LA will support us that being said uh, you know we didn't no one made a decision because of that. The decision was made because, you know, of where our team is in the ranking. And, and unfortunately, it, we just, our guys just didn't perform. Is there any hesitation to do this with your goalie out, though? I mean, like, you know, you, again, like, you think back a couple of years ago when, when Quick was hurt and the team missed the playoffs. I mean, it, you know, the, his impact on this team is pretty palpable, right? So, like, if Quickie can't go, um, is it kind of a lost season anyway? Uh, no, I don't think anybody's looking at this that uh, Quickie's hurt. Like, plus, we know like uh, Quickie's injury is going to be four to six weeks, and okay. uh, I think everyone is is worried that for us internally. Uh, and uh, and we weren't really good before when when uh, Jonathan was in net. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> no. it's a, it's a good way of looking at it. Um, yeah. Stevens gets fired. The Blackhawks fired Joel Coinville. Last season, nobody got fired during the year. And now all of a sudden, we've got two pretty high-profile ones in a row. Did you get a sense that uh, the landscape was shifting and that we might see a few of these moves this season instead of, since we didn't have any last season? Hey, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, like for us, like we know John is a great person. He, he He's a good coach for some reason. He just wasn't working. 
And and everybody knows Joel Quenville is a great coach also. For some reason, it hasn't really worked uh, the last few years. But, you know, the teams are changing. Our teams are changing. I'm sure their team's changing. And it's 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 a tough business. It's a really tough business. And uh, those are things that happen. I think everybody understands that, that it's, it is part of business, unfortunately. Yes, it is. Now, let me ask you this, though. The Blackhawks fans right now are having a big debate about how much of their struggle was Joel Quinville's coaching and how much of their struggle is the team that Stan Bowman built. The classic coaching versus construction debate, as we call it here. Now, when you, you obviously have heard the feedback on this roster from people, from fans, from media, whoever, that are looking at this LA Kings team and saying, this isn't a team built to win in 2018. This is a team that's too slow. This is a team that's too old. You got at least 11 guys over the age of 30 on this roster right now. How much of this struggle is the team that Rob Blake has built versus anything that John Stevens did behind the bench? Um, well, it's not that, uh, you know, the hockey playing fast. Yeah, Connor McDavid is a fast skater, faster than everyone else in the NHL. But playing fast is about moving the puck fast. It's about having your guys in movement. I mean, the difference between every skater in the NHL, if you put them from goal line to blue line, is, you know, a fast skater will be a tenth of a second to, at best, two-tenths of a second faster than the slowest guy. And it's it's more that has to do with the way you play and the way you move the puck and and the way your system is and and that's what we're going on and and if you if you have a roster that's uh, the age is a little bit older it uh, you know you got to adjust to that and and at the same time usually it's because you've had some type of success and that means those players have character and they should be able to come out of it you know now. Everybody agrees about the new game and the, and the new the new young guys, and everybody's talking about it. But you know, you got to remember, like uh, whether it's us or Chicago, we're all trying to kind of rebuild, uh, you know, kind of on the fly. Where you you're bringing in young guys and you're trying to make to make sense out of it, and at the same time, you're counting on your veterans that you've signed for long term because they have earned, uh, you know, their salaries and and their contracts. And 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 you and you're betting on these guys that they they're going to help you and help your young guys come along. So it's guess, it's not a, it's not an easy thing under the cap system, but that's the way to that's the idea of the system to give everyone a chance. I get that, I get that. But I'm looking at this roster and I'm seeing that you've got three guys under the age of 25 that are on the roster right now. Two of them play. <laughs> But you look at a team like the Capitals, for example. They had a bunch of kids come up from Hershey last year to be the supporting cast for the veteran guys. They end up winning the Cup yeah. partially because of that competition. Um, I, I think a lot of us look at this roster and say, it, it's, it, it, you know, the, the, the speed thing I give you, because I think you can play faster, right? But the age thing, there's no movement on that. There's no fountain of youth. Like, you're either a team that does have a infusion of younger players or you're a team that is way too veteran heavy. And I think a lot of people look at this Kings team and say it's way too veteran heavy. Yeah. And, and, and we're, we're aware of it. We, we, we certainly don't think like that, but you got to remember, like for us, I think in the last 18 months, we've acquired, I think I, 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 we did the calculation through either college free agent or draft pick. I think it's like 18 players, 18 young, young players. So Rob is trying to rebuild the, uh, our, our farm team 
and obviously it's those kids, but at the same time, he's being very smart and patient on not pushing the kids ahead of when they're, when they're ready. Uh, right now on our roster, we, we, we only have a few guys that are young, but my Camarios come up and down. We have the kid Wagner, Anderson Dolan's come up and down. We have Velarde who's skating now with us. Uh, you know, we're like, you know, we're, we're bringing along those kids at the right time, but you can't rush them or it's not going to be good for their career either. Right, right. Willie Desjardins uh, gets the interim tag. The way that you and Rob approach this decision to, to put him behind the bench, do you see him as the guy to turn this around or do you put him in there to kind of stabilize things and maybe bring in someone else to turn this thing around at some point this season? No, we, uh, we we brought in Willie. Uh, he was willing to take the challenge to turn our team around this year, and that's what we liked. And, uh, you know, I think we're honest that we're, we're going to look at everything this summer. We're going to look at our team first. And, uh, you know, strategically for him, which is very clever in a way, he believes in himself. So he knows that this gives us a real good chance to look at him. You know, he's, he's ahead of he's ahead of anyone else, and he believes in himself as a coach, which is what like what Rob liked the most. Yeah. All right. One one last Kings thing that I want to bug you about something else. What have you What have you seen? <laughs> from, all right. What have you seen from Kovalchuk? I, I you know I I'm a I'm a huge Kovalchuk fan. Uh, I I think he's a player that a lot of people don't quite understand the totality of how good he is. His, his vision on the ice, it's not simply just a guy who's a sniper. It's a guy who is a, a playmaker, uh, that, that we've, you know, few players could, could hold a candle to the kind of playmaker this guy yeah. is. How have you seen him this year? 11 points in 13 games is respectable. Where do you think his game is and, and what does he still have to work on to get back into NHL shape? He's been really good for us. I mean, he could easily have another two, three goals. He's hit the post a couple of times. He's he, for, I think we've played 13 games out of 13 games. I would say 10 of those games. He's led our team in scoring chances every single game and creating score, scoring opportunities. So we're, he's doing exactly what we wanted him for. And, uh, He's been really, really good, and I really suspect as our team gets better and start playing better, he's going to be even better. You know, he's he's been, you know, we, we're we really happy with what he's brought for our team so far. There you go. All right. Let me ask you about gambling. you got teams all over the country that are starting to uh, pair up with these gambling sites and gambling people. The Devils, I think, have turned half their arena into gambling parlors. In the last like week or so, you're you're somebody who's been on the business side. How much do you think the legalization of sports gambling across the U.S. could end up benefiting the National Hockey League? Well, if you go by what the numbers are on the illegal part, it seems like it's pretty significant. So, if that part ends up on the on the on the team side. Uh, I think it's going to help everyone. First of all, the cap will go up, so fans will be happy. Teams will spend more money on players. The players' salaries will go up. Uh, you know, you would think, you know, we, you know, this would help on not having to, to always put the pressure on fans to keep paying. Like hockey is still a ticket business, yeah. you know, primarily. So hopefully, you know, that, that helps maybe offset some of the ticket pricing. I'm not sure about it, but it could if the money is significant enough. And, uh, you know, and there, there's a lot that could go around it. I, I, you know, I, as far as like 
talking about the gambling, I mean, it is, it's going on every day in our, in all sports for the last, what, a hundred years. You know, it's, uh, I don't think any, any of it changed except that, you know, if the teams profit, everybody will profit from it. That's, that's what I, I see. Luke, if it's going to bring down ticket prices, I would encourage everybody out there bet bet on everything. Bet on, bet on who wins the opening yeah. face off. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I, I'm catching myself. I'm not going to guarantee you it's going to bring down ticket price, but it might hold the raise a little bit. You see right, what I mean? Right, right, like right. if some teams uh, have a plan to raise at one year eight percent, they might go to five percent or something like that, or four percent, and it will automatically bring it so because. If there's a lot more money on the table, it makes everybody's life a lot easier. And you'll have a better product on the ice. The development will be better. You know, everything changes. And that's why I think big deals like that can make a difference. And I commend a commissioner to be proactive on it. Sure, absolutely. And and, and finally, speaking of the commissioner, a a future Hall of Famer, by the way, a man who's about to join you in the Hall of Fame. Uh, So (laughs) let let that settle in, Luke. Uh, he mentioned during his press conference about the sport, the uh, wagering uh, deal that he made with MGM. He mentioned player tracking and and what that technology that he says is going to start coming into this league beginning next season could mean for sports gambling. But I wanted to ask you: once we get this thing into every arena, this sort of camera based player tracking technology they've been talking about, how do you see it opening up the game? How how would you like to see your team or even the league at large apply? this technology to learn more about the players in the game itself? I mean, the player tracking that will be in the arena, first of all, I think it's just more, it's part of a better entertainment package for the fans. As far as the team himself, you know, there's some legality that we can't track players in game, but we're all working in practices where they, I mean, the video, the, the, the amount of camera angles and so forth, the way it's broken down by coaches and, and our development uh, crew and our, and our scouts, there's no way to hide. So if anything, what I think it would do is help the players. Like it, it makes them better. I mean, there could be a few teams that use that as a negative tool, mm-hmm. but I, w- I could tell you that 95% of, of management and especially the good teams that the, are really focused on getting better every day, this is a tool that will make everyone better. This is, this, this, this is, you know, this technology that's going to advance everything. I mean, it doesn't matter. You could say, well, you know, guys are not going to be able to hide. There's no one that can hide on the ice anymore. Right. <laughs> like every guy literally almost has a camera on himself. You know, it's almost that way now. And, and you can break down every play, you know, teams are breaking down first passes out of zone. They're breaking down every single thing. So, this will only enhance and probably give a little bit more time for our coaches to spend less time on editing video. That's really what, it, what it's going to do. Right. And right. and if anything, then some teams are going to be clever and use it in different ways. Just like in baseball, they have a, some structure rules for every team to have cameras and so forth. Then you start talking to a team, and they all have enhanced different programs that their their managers are comfortable with. And what it does over time, it should make you better. It should make everyone better. That's the idea. Right. I would agree with that. And, I, and also, I would agree that you're probably happy it wasn't around 30 years ago, right? <laughs> oh, my God. They, they, would, they would have had the thing on it. I was just standing still in front of the net and, and I was the blue line. That would have been it. They, go, they, would, have, <laughs> they would have been Luke. 
we we we're, we're watching. I think we think your battery's dead because <laughs> there's no movement. <laughs> All right, Luke. Hey, thanks for the time as always, uh, and uh, and good luck. Hope the Kings turn it around this season. All right, perfect. Thank you. That's the plan. That's what we're gonna do. All right. Thanks to Luke Robitaille and also the Kings PR staff for setting that interview up. But I just wanted to let you all know that Discover is the official credit card of the NHL. And with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL team's logos and colors. But no matter what team you root for, Discover is committed to rewarding all their new card members with cash back match. Only Discover offers a dollar for dollar match of all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year. Automatically, no caps, no signups. Redeem your rewards in any amount at any time, and they never expire. With all that extra cash, you can treat yourself to centerized seats to the game, your favorite player's jersey, or maybe, Greg, you can buy some new headphones to listen to your favorite podcast. Oh, this one. Yeah, so try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. It's only for new card members, and limitations apply. Well, we thank Discover for being a sponsor of ESPN on Ice. And speaking of sponsors... You know who sponsors the Ottawa Senators? Who's that? That'd be Uber. Uh, <laughs> As we saw this week, Uber ads all over the Canadian Tire Center uh, at the Ottawa Senators amazing. game. The first game after the Uber controversy, Ubergate, as it were, when a gaggle of Ottawa Senators players were filmed in an Uber, smack talking their coach, and it sounded like this. What team did you guys play for? Ottawa. Oh, okay. You can tell we're really pleased with, you know. Without PK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did Marty Ramal. <laughs> Marty Ramal. Uh, as you would probably guess, our PK is near the bottom of the league right now. Yeah. The old wow. PKs have 29 at 69%. Oh. We're 2% away from the world. Marty Ramal. No, I think they went one. They went Only one. coach in NHL history to have the worst power play and worst PK within a back to back within a calendar year of each other. It's actually hard to do. It, it is. You notice that when he when he uh, runs the video, like if you actually do pay attention, he doesn't ever teach you anything. He just commentates no. what's happening. He's like, uh, "Here's so and so skating on the wall with the puck." Yeah, he doesn't say what to do with it. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing too. We don't change anything ever, so why do we even have a meeting? Like, I haven't paid attention in three weeks. And, like, I got a, my first shift, like, last game. You <laughs> and must I, have been listening. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew what to do because he hasn't changed a thing. Yeah. Why didn't pay attention in the meetings? That's the question. <laughs> All right, so, Greg, before we get into this, I, I think we should establish the ground rules. Okay. I'm going to speak for you and you speak for me. I think we're yeah. both in agreement. This was a pretty rude, unprofessional dick move. Am I allowed to say dick move? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wanted to say it and I was thinking of synonyms, <laughs> but it's a dick move by the Uber driver. That said, Arizona is a one-party consent state uh, law when it comes to recording um, and publishing. So there might not be any legal recourse the team can take uh against uber possibly you know it's definitely a violation of their terms of service so let's put all of that out there like there's n- there's definitely times and i know i've had a ton of texts of this of people texting me i'm so glad our uber conversations were never recorded and published <laughs> online like y- you say things back there I'm, I'm guilty i'm on the phone all the time in the back of ubers like lord knows what i'm complaining about mm-hmm. that said this opens a very very interesting window into the state of the ottawa senators oh, yeah. and 
the disagreements and distrust there is between the players and that the coaching staff is putting them in the best position to win. It, it does. It is. As many players have pointed out, uh, it is n- not uh, rare at all. It's rather commonplace to find uh, players complaining about their teams, their coaches, what have you, in the back of taxis. It Can happens I just interject really time. quick? Please. I think it's funny. These are professional hockey players talking about hockey in their off time. Isn't this what coaches want? That's right. And I, and I completely agree with you that, like, it, it, you know, no, no, nothing bad should befall these players. They're simply sim- <laughs> voicing something that maybe hasn't come to light for the rest of the organization about the effectiveness as Mar- of Marty Raymond, the assistant coach, who has Matt Duchesne. By the way, Matt Duchesne, back to all-star status for the line, uh, having the worst PK and the worst power play in consecutive seasons is a heck of an accomplishment. That I is, that, that is fantastic. That's a great line about the Twiggy in the, in the boards. Through the Twiggy uh, against the, against the glass. Yeah. He's great he vernacular. Was, on fire. Great teammate. Um, so, okay, there's lots to unpack here. The first thing is that I agree with you that the erosion of privacy in our society is a real pain in the keister um, for anybody. Uh, I myself have often, you know, I, I get recognized. It's great. I'm happy that it happens. But sometimes I wonder, oh, man, well, what's going to be said about this conversation? Or did someone record this while I'm in the bar and I didn't realize it? And yada, yada, yada. To the point where when I go to Devil's Games with my dad or my kid, uh, I no longer am the frothing at the mouth guy in the jersey uh, tossing epitaphs at Sidney Crosby. I know I can't be because God forbid that video ends up on YouTube. ESPN writer says blah, blah, that Sidney Crosby at Devil's Game. Yeah, that's it's the last thing that I need. It's bad enough when I mention politics. So, you know, I, I, I get it's annoying that privacy has been eroded. That said, you have to remember the privacy has been eroded. And these guys know it better than anybody. These guys are the ones that, you know, put their Instagram feeds on private uh, and par- parse the roles of their Facebook pages. And they understand the world we live in, especially the younger guys. So here's the mistake they made. The mistake they made was saying who they play for. The minute you say who you play for, the minute you turn to that cab driver and say, we're the Ottawa Senators, every single thing that you say is going to be now recorded in this guy's head as being, oh, these are professional athletes playing for Team X. I'm going to, I'm going to put an ear to this. And the other thing, you know, the, the the thing about it is that it's commonplace to, to, to bitch about anything in the back of an Uber, but you have to be cognizant that you are, you're not in your hotel room. You're not sitting around playing Fortnite. There, you are mixed company. And anytime you're in mixed company, no matter what profession you're in, whether you're a congressman on the Amtrak going between New York and D.C., whether you're a professional athlete in a cab, whether you are, you know, somebody and their agent having a discussion at a cafe uh, in L.A., like, it's all going to be possibly on the record for somebody eavesdropping. And so that's that's the thing for me, is is, is you always have to have your guard up. And that's just the way of the world today. Now, of course, this is only the luck of the senators that it would happen to them, considering the malaise and dysfunction we've seen from them over the past 12-plus months. Um, it's unfortunate. I, I think it's really interesting, uh, in my opinion, <laughs> the genesis of all of this and the rumor going, and I've heard this from a couple different people, it was over a bad rating. <laughs> the players only gave him two out of five stars, I believe, and that's when the Uber driver began tweeting the video at reporters, um, I believe calling them entitled or something. Um, right. That that was fascinating to me. Uh, a window into this guy's psyche. Uh, guys, tip your rate your Uber drivers well. 
five you stars should. for everyone. Yeah, and or else. I'm not giving them someone five stars. Yeah. So that's oh. Happen to me. Or else. I mean, he's recording you. He's going to make uh, you pay. But what I found curious is that, look, the team had dealt with this, I believe it was before the Tampa Bay game, and I was just going through my head of, of what do players say in that meeting to coaches and, and how do you build that trust back up again? Um, you know, it's these are the grievances that they had that they didn't feel comfortable saying to them um, in public, and now all of a sudden they're forced with it. For Marty Raymond, it's embarrassing. 90% of hockey fans had no idea who Marty Raymond was, and now he's a punchline. You know, how do you go about your line of work uh, when that's the case? So I think for him, if I were him, I would have, you know, maybe put a dry joke here or there in a team meeting. You, you can bring it up here and there. And, and you know what? Maybe listen to your players and say, okay, let, let's meet halfway. You clearly have some concerns. I'd like to listen to them. Uh, let's see if their power of penalty kill changes after all this. Yeah, he's like, oh, uh, you know, next time take a lift, boys. And then everybody has a laugh. Because he made a joke. Is he French Canadian? Uh, who cares? Uh, here's, he is now. <laughs> uh, it's to me. It's it's no different than you know our personal lives. Like when when you've uh, been in a situation, or I've been in a situation where you find out someone's been talking behind your back. It goes one of two ways. Either it becomes a endless you know string of passive aggressiveness against this person, or it opens the wound. And you deal with it. You put the, you either put the bandaid on it, stitch it up or whatever. So maybe, maybe at the end, maybe at the end of the day, Emily, some positive comes out of this. That these guys all get together and get on the same page and the the PK is not the worst in the league anymore. Wouldn't that be amazing? Do you know how I usually handle when someone's talking about me behind my back and I find out? Yeah. Um, I know it. I let it fester. I'm super passive aggressive towards them, but they have no idea why. Mm -hmm. Very unhealthy. No, it's completely. I'm also the same age as Matt Duchesne. I feel like he's going to do the same. (laughs) <laughs> it's quite possible we're gonna mix up the order on the show because the our favorite segment of the week is actually related to the story we just did phil kessel loves hot dogs no he does not love to eat hot dogs our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media good one randy good one phil kessel loves hot dogs this week is about the Ottawa mess. First of all, thank you to the Ottawa Citizen for posting that video of the players talking in the back of the Uber. Um, also, you didn't mention, Emily, your favorite part of the entire Uber video. I, I, I'm incredulous that this has not been brought up more often, but as the diligent journalist that I am, I decided I was not going to stop the video when the players got out of the car and I was going to keep watching. The driver then goes on for another 20 seconds and it's just him listening to Come Sail Away by Sticks, just <laughs> driving along looking for his next pickup. It is amazing. So the media, of course, chimed in on this mess and in many cases was extraordinarily sanctimonious, sanctimonious, especially coming from Ottawa. Dean Brown, Ottawa play-by-play guy, my opinion on the Uber video is that it's a brutal and possibly criminal invasion of privacy. Any person secretly recorded talking about their work, coworkers, boss, friends, etc., etc., would not want their aired pub- that aired publicly whether they were a pro athlete or not. Now, all that being said and all that being true, here's my theory on this. Had it not been a video, had it been a driver studiously transcribing the recording he made and then posting said recording on Reddit or sending the transcript to an Ottawa reporter and say, and, and, and identifying himself as the Uber driver and saying this was said, and I can share the tape with you if you want, but here's everything that was said. This entire thing becomes journalistic. It's the fact that it's a TMZ-type deal where it's a video of these guys versus being a written report about what was said or done that makes it sort of an affront to journalism here. Well, to your point, 
Yeah. Firstly, I think if this Uber driver went and read it and transcribed it, how many of us would actually have believed him? Mm. How many journalists, how many outlets would have, I wouldn't have run with it. The outlets wouldn't have run with it. That's true. It would have been great rumor and gossip that we all share at ranks. But this to me is the same thing when I covered the NHL, the NFL. God, I'm really slipping up those two leagues today. Uh, but when I covered the NFL, it's the same thing as Ray Rice on video is shown punching his fiance. Huge outrage. He never gets a chance in the league again. It's, you know, his career is done. He is the face of domestic violence. Greg Hardy, incredibly graphic police report for what he mm-hmm. did to his girlfriend at the time. I believe his ex-girlfriend, Nicole. Um, and it was awful. He's throwing her against the bed with guns and this and that. But it was a police report and it was written and there was not as much outrage. Yeah. Video video is the game changer. Mm-hmm. Ian Mendez, who I like a lot, uh, said, my initial takeaway on the Sens Uber video, I'm not a fan of people posting videos without consent. Um, as we mentioned, it's a one-party consent law in Arizona. I think players have a right to know when they are on and off the record. There would be lots of NHL players speaking a lot differently uh, if they were off the record. His take here was about the Ottawa Citizen, I think, and, and the other publications that <laughs> ran this video. The idea that this was an off-the-record conversation that shouldn't be covered journalistically. Again, you know, maybe it's just the blogger in me, but like the the, the videos in the in, in in the world, it's out there. It, it's 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 irresponsible, I think, journalistically, not to I mean to pretend it doesn't exist. If it's out there, it's not your fault that uh, that Joe from Arizona got pissed off at the two stars, uh, and, and that you know, and that that the guys took too many bottles of free bottles of water from his Uber van. You know, it's it's not our fault that he got pissed off and sent that, that video. Video's well, out there. It's then becomes news, and uh, this whole on the record, off the record thing when it comes to a video like that, to me, is kind of veering off into the lane of water carrying and, and access journalism versus it actually being journalism. All right, well, this is where we disagree, and maybe I'm a water carrier, but uh, <laughs> a little inside baseball, is, I bet, gets published on Ottawa Citizen, and I ask our editors in the news desk, what do you think? I personally don't feel comfortable going just off of this video on the Ottawa Citizen's website. Personally, I clearly can see it looks like the players. I have no way of independently verifying that you know the legitimacy of this video, that it wasn't doctored. Um, the team hadn't addressed... Once the team addressed it and made a statement, then I felt totally comfortable... Uh, reporting. That, that's just my sensibility and that's just the way I work. I right. think I'm a little more conservative. Uh, another point that Elliot Friedman brought up though in his 31 thoughts column that I, I thought also a little inside baseball, but if you notice it's on the Ottawa Citizens website without a byline. Many yeah, reporters s- on that staff did not feel comfortable being the one that authored that story, even though it was clearly leaked to the paper. Right. Which I think is cowardice, but uh, I'm a muckraker, so what do I know? And also, the first clue that the video wasn't altered is that he sang sticks at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Only a guy who would leak a video like this would jam out to sticks the second his uh, riders get out of the car. All right, Sean McIndoe is one of our favorite people. You know him as Down Goes Brown. The Down Goes Brown History of the NHL is his just-released book. It's a fantastic read. Uh, it's If you love his writing, you'll love this book, and he was kind enough to join us for a spell on ESPN and Ice. Sean McIndow is, of course, the incredible Down Goes Brown, uh, a longtime blogging colleague of mine and a, a co-author of the Triforce of Authors that uh, did that uh, top 100 players of all time book that, that me and him and Lozo did. And now he has a new book without either me or Lozo, although I'm blurbed on it, called The Down Goes Brown History of the NHL, the world's most beautiful sport, the world's most ridiculous league, Published by Random House Canada, 
And it's a gorgeous hardcover book with many words inside, and you should be very proud of it. Thank you. I am, and it is it is many many words. And yeah, it was it was very different from the book that I did with you and Dave because with this one, I don't know if you know this, but when you do a book by yourself, <laughs> you have to write all of it. <laughs> this is true. Like also, Dave, you can't just wait around and uh, and suddenly like your inbox fills up with two thirds of the book. Like you have to do the whole thing. I have to also imagine you had more than six weeks to write this one, unlike ours. I, I, you know what? I had a little bit more than six weeks. This was something where I, it, it was probably around two years ago this time where we pitched it and, and had the interest and, and made the deal. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was like, I'll, I'll just write it in the summer of 2017. And, yeah. and, and, uh, and I, I agreed and I signed the contract and it, then it, it was like months later when I sat down and, and actually started thinking about the schedule where I was like, I may have made a terrible mistake here. <laughs> well, uh, well, it's yeah. really the, the, the subtle difference between, you know, working with a professional publishing house and three idiots trying to do a cash grab before the NHL releases a list. Exactly. Yeah, it was, it was pretty much the same thing. But it, it, it's the same category because it's me taking what the NHL did for their 100th <laughs> anniversary and then trying to do it better. <laughs> now, when you're writing this book, are you writing it for people that are sort of familiar with these, some of these tales and some of these happenings? Or are you writing it for this legion of millennial-aged fans that have come to the NHL in the last 10 years that might not necessarily be all that familiar with how insanely wacky and dysfunctional this league was and sort of still is? You know, it's, it's, as much of it's kind of a cop-out of an answer, it, it really is both. And, and the reason for that is that my experience has been that even the diehard fans who know the history very often don't know the whole history. I mean, nobody knows everything. Nobody, nobody knows every, every detail. But, but even the people who would tell you that they're pretty fluent in NHL history, very often, uh, you know, very often people's concept of NHL history starts in 1942 with the original six era and right. and that's that's largely because that's where the nhl likes to start when they when they talk about their history and uh they kind of leave out the fact that there was an entire quarter century before that uh where the original six were not the original teams and there weren't six teams and there were all anywhere from three to ten and and bounce teams bouncing around like crazy and uh, rules being changed and, and all sorts of weird stuff happening. So, uh, you know, even, even the diehard fans, uh, who are, who are very familiar, uh, with a lot of this stuff, I do think will learn something, uh, and, and will see some stuff in there that they, that they don't know about. And, and then certainly the fans who are, uh, newer, either because they're younger fans or because they've just come to the sport more recently, uh, I think it's a good opportunity to to get caught up on on you know some of these things that you may have heard about, passing references, even been involved in conversations about, but you're still sitting there going, I, I don't fully know what exactly this is referring to, uh, and it gets you up to speed there. But the the real focus that I always wanted is, uh, like I told the publisher at the beginning, I said we're gonna do we're gonna do everything, we're gonna go start to finish, we're gonna do the whole hundred years, we're gonna have all the big stuff. But I need the freedom to also focus on the weird little <laughs> side stories and and the stuff that maybe ultimately didn't matter in a lot of cases. Um, but that's to me that's always been been what's fun. It's you know that it's those those weird stories they get thrown at you when the game is seven to one and the announcers run out of stuff to talk about and then suddenly one of them just drops 
some some little nugget of a detail and, and you perk up and wonder what the heck he's talking about and uh, I wanted to, to fill the book with a lot of those sorts of stories if only so that the people who read it the next time you're talking to your hockey fan, fan buddies and you're sitting at the bar or the water cooler or wherever you can throw one of these stories out at them and, and kind of enjoy the look on their face as they try to figure out whether uh, you're screwing with them or whether you're actually telling them a true story about yeah, something the, that's happened in this dumb league. The strange but true sections are awesome, and I wanted to ask you about two of them. As I told you before, and I think I mentioned it in, in the aforementioned blurb on the book, uh, the how Harrison Ford saved the Colorado Avalanche connection is 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 fantastic. It is, and, and i got to say that as I've been uh, sort of doing the rounds and, and talking to people over the last few weeks, that seems to be the one that that people really like because uh, it's it's you know it's 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 such a strange story but it's also recent enough that you know it's not it's one thing to hear about something crazy that happened in 1923 or whatever it's it's another thing where you're like no I I I know the players involved I saw that movie and and the detail here is it it starts with sort of one of these fun forgotten facts which is that Joe Sackick Mr. Colorado Avalanche, one of the few guys to go into the Hall of Fame having only played for one franchise in his entire career, once signed a contract as a free agent with the New York Rangers. And it happened back in 1997. He was a restricted free agent. And he signs a deal, an offer sheet, to go join the New York Rangers. And I, I know it's very confusing for modern fans to hear us talk about somebody signing an offer sheet and a team actually using an offer sheet to try to improve. But the Rangers have just lost Mark Messier. So being the big market monster that they were they went to pick on a smaller market in colorado that had had just won a stanley cup but were still playing out of this dingy arena didn't have a lot of uh financial muscle to to compete with the rangers and they give joe sackick this big huge contract with a massive signing bonus up front i think it was a 21 million dollar deal 15 million up front day one if the colorado avalanche match this offer they have to cut a check for 15 million dollars on the day they match it uh, and they're not sure that they have the money. There's a legitimate concern uh, that they're just priced out here and that the Rangers are basically going to buy Joe Sackick away with this offer sheet. And there, there was, uh, they, they had one week to make up their minds, as you do when an offer sheet is signed. And as it happened, the Colorado Avalanche ownership group was also involved in other businesses, including Hollywood. And they had a piece of this Harrison Ford movie that was coming out uh, at the same time that all this offer sheet drama was going on, and that movie was Air Force One. And basically what it came down to is if the movie was a hit, they would have enough money uh, to match the offer and keep Joe Sackick in Colorado. And if the movie bombed, uh, they weren't going to have enough, and Joe Sackick would go on and play the rest of his career with the New York Rangers. And, of course, Air Force One uh, starring Harrison Ford was a great movie. People loved it. Mm-hmm. It was a blockbuster hit. Uh, and that tipped the scales over to them feeling comfortable to, to make the investment to keep Joe Sackick. And, of course, the rest is uh, is history in, in Colorado and beyond. Insane. And, and obviously all because of Gary Oldman's Russian accent. Uh, rule really? 3111 you talk about in the book as well, which is the rule that talks about what happens when the regular officiating crew can't do the game and there are no backup officials. So if this was to occur, what happens? This, this is a great one because I, I love I love rule books. I love going back through rule books because there's all this old stuff that like kind of clutters them up. Nobody seems to go through the rule book and clean it up every year. They, they just kind of add to it and tweak things. But a lot, there's a lot of stuff in there that 
uh, doesn't really even seem to apply anymore, uh, but is still in there. And one of them is this Rule 3111, which describes a scenario in which basically the referees or the linesmen don't show up, or at least all three of them don't show up. And I, I, I think the phrase in, that's actually in the rule book is it's, it's yeah, I can't remember the exact wording, but uh, the word misadventure comes into it, which I, I always love because it, you know, it suggests that they get kidnapped by pirates or something like that. But <laughs> basically, if, if the referees and officials don't show up and they're not available, what do you do? And there's this whole kind of protocol of, of what the league does. First thing they do, obviously, is they say, are there any other NHL officials nearby who can do the game? If not, are there any officials of any kind that we can bring in to do the game who can, uh, who can potentially uh, keep up at an NHL level? And you go on down the list, and the last thing on the list is that all else failing, uh, you get the players to do it. You basically go to the teams and say, I, we need some players who aren't playing tonight. They're going to referee. And it's it's one of these great uh, great rules, and you can picture it having been necessary back in the 20s or 30s. Uh, but you kind of figure, well, I mean, clearly that would have never happened in the modern era, except that it did one time. Wow. It's been actually there's one and only one time in the history of the league that this rule has been invoked. It was in 1983, a game between Hartford and New Jersey. There's a big snowstorm. Uh, two of the officials don't make it to the game. One does, and the official who who is there goes down the list you know there's there's no cell phones there there's no one else around that uh, that you can you can go and get so he invokes rule 3111 he goes to each team says i need one guy from each team is going to be the linesman i'm going to referee and they play the start of the game like that and oh. it's uh one of those scenarios that would never happen today in today's nhl especially when it's it's so easy to to, to get in contact with with other people but uh back then in 1983 which isn't that long ago there was a scenario where you saw NHL players having to officiate their own game in a regular season game. Oh, man. Flames, Bruins, Matthew Kachuk, and Brad Marchand are your linesmen. That's the only thing I want in life now. (laughs) Um, You wrote about Bettman in this book, and I was wondering, as a guy who has been on the Internet for far too long like me, how have your opinions about Gary Bettman, future Hall of Famer, changed? I mean, I'm not sure that they've changed that much in recent years. Uh, you know, certainly when Gary Bettman first came around, I, as a Canadian fan, uh, I'm sure I jumped right on that bandwagon of, geez, you know, who is this This New York guy from the NBA is going to come in and tell all us Canadians how our hockey league should work. And, uh, it, you know, th- there was a lot of criticism that he came in for then uh, that I think people have have reevaluated, or at, at least should. I mean, I, I think he got too rough a ride, uh, certainly up here in Canada, um, from from some of the traditionalists on on some of the changes he made. I think he got too far too rough a ride for the Nordiques and the Jets leaving. Oh, yeah. um, you know, they, they, they were they, maybe he could have handled that better from a PR standpoint. But those the the, the realities had already set in then. Those I mean that that was that was in motion. And that ship had sailed before he arrived. And, and frankly, he probably deserves some credit for the fact that teams like the Senators and the Oilers are still uh, where they are and, and, and didn't end up moving. If Gary Bettman was this mustache-twirling, Canadian-hating villain that he's sometimes portrayed as, uh, then the NHL wouldn't, wouldn't have the Canadian teams and Canadian representation it does right now. So, uh, you know, I, I've evolved on some of that. But at the same time, I, I also... Um, it 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 bothers me when I see some of these defenses of Gary Bettman or these uh, you know these, these kind of uh, 
counter hot takes where uh, it, it just seems like everything points to the revenue. Right. Revenue is way up, and therefore Gary Bettman has, has been a success. And, you know, my, my argument there is, well, yes, certainly revenue is up. It's up, 10, up by a factor of 10 since he took over. But look around. Look around the pro sports landscape. Where do you not see record revenues? Right. What, what sport, what organization isn't, isn't swimming in, in money right now? Yeah, it's, uh, the, it's, the, it's the Alan Walsh argument that, you know, yeah. the NHL is doing great, but how much greater could it be doing were it not for the leadership of the league? Exactly. And, you know, if, if things had been had done, if, if there had been maybe a little bit more vision, if there had maybe been a little bit more willingness to, uh, uh, to push a little bit further, uh, you know, what would it look like? I, I don't think, if you're going to compare Gary Bettman to John Ziegler and certainly to Gil Stein, then, then he's, he's been a massive success, without question. I think you have to compare Gary Bettman to what the alternative might have been in that early 90s, because there really was an opportunity then. And, you know, I, I always look back and, you know, I think every hockey fan of a certain age remembers that Sports Illustrated cover. Oh, yeah. The, the, the famous cover that says they came out right around 94, the Rangers have won the Stanley Cup. Uh, you know, Mark Messier is the toast in New York. He's sitting next to David Letterman every night with the Stanley Cup, and everybody's talking about hockey. And Sports Illustrated puts out this cover that says the NHL is hot and the NBA is not. And everybody kind of remembers the cover, and I think a lot of people uh, sort of, uh, you know, sort of bristle at it a bit because it implies that the NHL was about to overtake the NBA, which, of course, was not going to happen and, and, and almost certainly never will happen. But I, I do encourage people, if you ever get a chance, go back and find the actual article that went with that cover story. You know, skip, skip past the famous cover image that we've all seen. Read the article, because it really is kind of fascinating uh, to read that snapshot in time, uh, because what's being described is that the reason the, the NHL is hot and the NBA is not is because the NBA at the time is perceived as this ugly, defensive, defense-first, low-scoring league mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't let its stars shine, Versus the NHL, which is fast and high-scoring and has all of these stars, you know, Gretzky and Lemieux and, and Messier in their prime, but Eric Lindros has just come in, Peter Forsberg's on his way, you know, all of these, these young stars who can shine and do their thing. And, of course, now, 25 years later, we know how history played out, which is that the dead puck era was about to begin. The NHL completely and utterly failed uh, to reckon with that and to do anything about it. And, of course, now the, the idea of the NHL being young and fast and sexy, which was another one of the words Sports Illustrated used, uh, and the NBA being the boring defense firstly, it's, it's a complete mirror image. We know that history played out, that they, they flipped, and you know we're at the point now where you know 25 years ago, 24 years ago when that came out, it really did seem vaguely possible that maybe someday the NHL could give a league like the NBA a run for their money, whereas today, even though they're making 10 times the revenue, uh, it just seems like the NHL is, is confined and content to being a niche league forever. And, and I just wonder what would have happened if there had been a little bit more vision uh, from the leadership back then. Could, could we actually have been something more uh, than a sport that, that just gets mentioned in the, the dying seconds of your highlight package every night? <laughs> hey, I take offense. To the, well, you're probably right. Uh, Sean McIndell, of course, Down Goes Brown. The Down Goes Brown History of the NHL is out now. You can get your copy wherever books are sold. 
Uh, it's a great read, and if you've loved his writing as I have on his personal site and then places like Grantland, RIP, and now on The Athletic, uh, you will definitely love to uh, read this book. Anything else you want to add to this nonsense that we just did? No, you know what? I, 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 I think that that covers it, and I do hope people check it out. Uh, I think it would make a great uh, uh, Christmas gift for any oh. hockey fans on your list. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe all of the hockey fans on your list. And, uh, you know, once if, if you do check it out and you read it, I'd, I'd love it if you found me on Twitter. Let me know what your favorite story was or, or what you learned and that sort of thing. And, uh, uh, you know, if you, you can get the lovely hardcover version, you can get the uh, the ebook if you prefer, or you can get the audio version that I spent uh, a good chunk of this summer sitting in a ah. studio recording. And you can listen to me struggle to pronounce uh, complicated hockey names for uh, for roughly eight hours. Uh, I, I can't think of a better use of eight hours of your time than just yeah. hearing my Canadian voice uh, reading my own words to you. They, they, I, uh, they didn't let me do my own audio book. I think they've uh, determined that the uh, weird uh, New Jersey by way of Virginia accent that I have is repugnant. <laughs> well, I, we might be hiring you to do my next book because I, I, I don't think I'm going back in there. All right, Sean. Thanks for your time, man. Thank you, sir. Our thanks to Sean McIndoe. Down goes Brown joining us. Everybody pick up his book. It's really good. Uh, and now it's time for one of the newest segments here on ESPN and Ice. Sach got your number. Sach and Chandan is our, one of our favorite people, a Thai connoisseur, a man about town, a bon vivant, and also someone who is summarily obsessed with hockey statistics and hockey numbers to the point where sometimes he'll just come up to me and Emily and say, hey, did you know blah, 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 blah? And Emily will be like, dude, we're in the cafeteria. Let's can we just wait until we get back to the office. <laughs> Let's eat our sweet potato fries. <laughs> uh, but every episode, he gives a number. We have to figure out what the hell that number is. And this week's number is? The San Jose Sharks are spending $35 million on this. Okay, the San Jose Sharks are spending $35 million on this. My guess would be a series of differently sized cages for Brent Burns' menagerie of exotic and endangered animals that he takes on the road with him with the sharks. Ooh. I see... For, you think first, you know this one? No, at first I thought it was $13 million that he said, and I was like, oh, easy, the failed uh, Vlasic Carlson experiment. Because <laughs> I believe they are being combined. <laughs> let's say $35 million is for their entire forward group. Okay, let's see what Sash says. Sash got your number, and the number is? The Sharks are spending $35 million on their defenseman group, most ah! in the league. In fact, the next highest teams are the Winnipeg Jets and the Carolina Hurricanes. <laughs> Oh, but man. Are there, how much of the, I'm on cap friendly this you, real quick. You, you, you hit the putt and it just lipped the cup. Whoa, 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 Satch. I'm on cap friendly right now. Uh huh. There must be some recent call ups because I've got 30 million, 30.5 million. For the forwards defense, or for the? For defense. Yeah. Well, according That's to the time you did in there this, and. Well. Redeem Samak. Are you, are you defying that Sasha's Number is yeah. It? I'd like to throw a challenge flag. I'd All like a review, right. Ryan, the producer. I just, I just feel like maybe you wouldn't be throwing this flag if you had said defenseman instead of forwards. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I was so close. All right. Okay, fine. I concede. Now it's time, now it's time for fuck headlines. Dateline, Long Island. 
The Islanders are leading the Metropolitan Division. Can this actually hold, Emily Kaplan? Feel great about the goaltending. I will say that. That is above expectation. But uh, there are a couple things that worry me about this group. Uh, they have a very high shooting percentage, um, much higher than we've seen many teams finish the season with, which shows that they are bound for regression and very low course C4. And those are not the all be all end all stats, but it just shows an indication that maybe they've just been a little lucky. Yeah, you know, typically teams that are firing at a 105.56 PDO, as I believe the Islanders are right now, uh, those teams tend to have a modicum of regression. And I think that that's what we'll see. You're right about the goaltending, though, and that's that that Mitch Korn uh, pixie dust being sprinkled on, on the Islanders' goaltending right now. Their save percentage is... Is, is solid. It's very good. Um, and so, I also know, think that's it's just a, getting the right environment for Robin Lanner. He's clearly yeah. healthy now and a good structure. Yeah, he got. He's we got always his head on knew straight. he had talent. Yeah, he's, he's got his head on straight. It's 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 good to see. It's a good story. Hey, the Islanders are a good story. The idea that the Islanders could somehow be the resurgent, uh, uh, defiant team like we saw in Vegas last year—a bunch of misfits. Everyone you know, wrote off. That's right. Everybody wrote him off. Uh, to see them excel and maybe listen, everybody wants to see a first round matchup between Toronto and the Islanders. That'd be amazing. That'd be that unbelievable. Be the the Islanders will have never been more popular in the history of the franchise. Even after their fourth straight cup, they would not be as popular as they would be in a series against Tavares and the Leafs. They, it would be it would be USA Russia 1980. It'd be amazing. So yeah, I kind of wish they'd make the playoffs, but only to play the Leafs. But they won't. Dateline EA Sports. As first reported by ESPN, EA Sports created the digital six jerseys. Original six jerseys that exist only inside of NHL 19. You, you can customize your teams with these jerseys. Emily, did any of these strike your fancy? Yes, Greg, they did. Because when I looked at your article, I was just distracted by the fact that the Boston Bruins uniform <laughs> pretty much looked like a barstool sports flag. It was their logo. And I was so glad that you asked uh, the guy from EA about this. And I thought his answer, although in denial that it was not an inspiration for Barstool, pretty much confirmed that it was an inspiration from Barstool. Yeah, anytime a guy is like, no, no, no. Barstool and then he volunteers was... the word stoolies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If the same quote, he's like, Barstool had no influence on this jersey design that looks exactly like the Barstool logo for a team in Boston. But hey, if the stoolies want a stool, can I'll be the guy that'll stool for him? I'm like, oh, okay. Okay, buddy. I believe I believe in some in some quarters they call that a, a dog whistle. Uh, Dateline Vancouver. Our sweet boy uh, Elias Pettersson led all rookies with seven goals and ten points in eight games in October. He's continued to just absolutely tear up this league as a rookie. Ten goals, ten games. Emily, are we witnessing an eighty-two goal eighty-two goal season from a rookie? Amazing. Uh, no, I don't <laughs> think so. But I love, I love the Church of Peterson, Church of Pedersen, whatever we want to call them these days. I love all the enthusiasm from Vancouver. I love that they're buying in and I love watching this kid play. It's pretty amazing. I, I do believe that he's probably brought Travis Green some more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe he's reinvigorated that team that is very, uh, thin in their forward group as well as their defense. And, yeah. um, yeah, I just don't think 82 is in the cards. What about you? No, I don't think so either. But the fact that they can trot out two offensive units 
with with a team that you, as you mentioned, I mean, was you know trolling for Jay Beagle and, and Antoine Roussel in the off season uh, to to bolster a forward group is is pretty impressive. He's the real deal. He's one of the most exciting rookies to come along in a really long time, and I'm very happy for the good people of Vancouver. Maybe you know, and and as the season goes on, I think the real question about the Canucks is maybe they were right that they are a little bit closer to contention than maybe Trevor Linden thought they were. Eh? Yeah, and we all kind of rolled our eyes. Debate worth having. Dateline Dallas. Uh, Tyler Sagan is, uh, you know, he's got a good number of points this season. There's no question about that. He's doing pretty well for himself in that category. 14 points, 15 games. Gotta love that. Shooting percentage of 4.2 right now. 71 shots on goal. Three goals on the season. Sid Sagan to the Dallas Morning News. You have some good hours and some bad hours. The sleeping hasn't been great as of late, but at the end of the day, nobody feels sorry for you. I got to make sure that I don't feel sorry for myself. Just keep grinding. Keep shooting. Keep creating chances. Will Tyler Sagan turn his season around on a goal-scoring front? Yeah, he will. The fact that he's firing 71 shots is fine. I still want to give these guys some slack. I mean, I just... I Maybe I'm incredulous about this, but I can't fathom how this team has adjusted to such different, distinct styles of coaching so many times in their career. Once again, they're doing a Jim Montgomery. They started hot. It's probably still an adjustment, but... I've got confidence in that kid. Yeah, and Dallas, you know, it was a team that everybody was looking down at for a little bit, but they've actually climbed back into a wild card spot as of late um, in a very topsy-turvy Western Conference. So, uh, you know, still time for Jim Montgomery to win the uh, Jack Adams like I thought he was going to. Uh, Dateline, the PGA Tour, Bryson DeChambeau won his fifth PGA Tour title over the weekend, but not before an injury scare that occurred the night before at a hockey game. DeChambeau was invited to the Vegas Golden Knights game and given the duty of ringing the siren. Can you ring a siren? You crank a siren. Am I wrong on that? Yeah, do you want to issue a correction? That's the AP. Maybe it was us. I don't know. Ringing the siren before the third period of play. In doing so, DeChambeau looked at his right hand and realized he had a painful blister. And now I'm like, wow, I'm really in some doo-doo and not in a good place, he said. Essentially, I uh, tried to put some lotion or just to moisturize it a little bit again, but obviously everything was fine. Won the uh, PGA event that he was playing in, but uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, well, second biggest injury of the season behind Paul Stasny, this injury to this PGA golfer. Did he really say doo-doo in that quote? He said doo-doo, but I, and it's not cleaned up. It's just there. Just like he, I'm talking to a reporter and I'm not going to say the S word. Mm. I wonder doo-doo. what the AP styles for doo-doo. D-O-O, D-O-O. Close. Mm. D-O-O dash. D O O. Okay. Do, Good for future the, reference. The do affects the do. Mm. Uh, finally, Dateline, the Hockey Hall of Fame. I'm going to be there on Monday for the induction of Marty Brodeur, Marty San Louis, Jenna Hefford, Alexander Yakashev, and Willie O'Ree, and Commissioner Gary Bettman. A reminder that all of these people will be heading into the Hockey Hall of Fame on Monday. At the same time. Uh, scale of 1 to 10. 1 being. Uh, a conversation with your favorite person in the world, your best friend. Ten being watching the Ottawa Senators on an Uber video. Where will Gary Bettman's Hall of Fame speech fall on the awkward scale? Uh, I'm putting him right in the middle at five. I will say it's a 14. Uh, <laughs> now it's time for the ESPN on Ice rant line. Hey, guys. Um, so this isn't really a rant, more of like a something I want you to weigh in on. I'm a lifelong Penguins fan living in Flyers Nation um, in South Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia. And 
uh, the gritty wave has kind of caught me and my fellow behind enemy lines Penguins fans. And I just want to know if all the flack I'm getting for saying gritty's my favorite flyer is deserved or if it's okay. Thanks, guys. I think essentially what he's asking, Emily, is has gritty transcended the established battle lines between warring fan bases. Can mm. you be a gritty fan if you're a Penguins fan, despite gritty being the most popular Philadelphia Flyer since Bobby Clark? This is really a philosophical question, huh? Yeah, it really is. I think it's okay. I think that gritty... Listen, I think Gritty was... Well, first of all, we know Gritty was born under the arena and he has survived on hot dogs and his father was a bully. That's according mm-hmm. to the official bio. Abusive background. Right, abusive background. I think that Gritty in many ways, although first identified with the Philadelphia Flyers, has transcended that. I think he belongs to hockey now. I think that not since Wayne Gretzky have we had an ambassador to the mainstream like Gritty. When's the last time you saw an NHL player on The Tonight Show? It's probably Sidney Crosby, many, many moons ago. When's the last time you saw a, a, an NHL player uh, mentioned on uh, John Oliver's show or th- any other show that he's been on? I, there's going to be a gritty Thanksgiving Day float. I don't know that for sure. I'm going to guess that's going to be the case. And when that happens, then gritty becomes he, – he reaches another level. He's now on the level of the balloons, you know, at the parade. So what you're saying is the thing about Gritty that's amazing is he's relatable and we all can see part of ourselves in him. But also he's everything we want in NHL superstars. He's putting himself out there. He's going and getting those marketing opportunities. He's saying yes to those invitations. He's good for the sport. He's an ambassador. I'm sorry. Now now it occurs to me that is there going to be a Gritty balloon? Like there could be. Like you can't make a balloon out of Bobby Orr when he's on the float. Like Bobby Orr is just on the float. But you could make a gritty balloon if you're the NHL. There's room for it. I always see dumb, weird. There's like a Doug balloon, or you know, uh, Power Rangers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's all these balloons that are just kind of they're not there for one year. They then now they're there. Is there time to make a gritty balloon for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? You are a television partner with NBC. Hmm. I'm obsessed with this now. All right, here first. Coming up next week on ESPN Ice, we talk to a balloon maker and the president of Macy's. Can't wait. (laughs) All right. That's ESPN on Ice for this week, a titanic large episode filled with good stuff. Thank you to Luke Robitaille, president of the LA Kings. Thanks to Sean McAdow, of course. Pick up his new book, The Down Goes Brown, History of the NHL, available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Really good read. Highly recommend it to everybody. And, of course, you can follow his, his writing at The Athletic. Um, I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. You can find me at, on Twitter at Wyshynski and all my writing on ESPN.com. I'm Emily Kaplan. You can find me on Twitter at Emily M. Kaplan and also on ESPN.com or EmilyKaplan.com if that please, existed. I got that please, oh, please, oh, please read her stuff on the Blackhawks. It was fantastic stuff. And uh, that's it. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.